Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Fifty-one matches over the course of a month, and every single one of them is live on the Talksport Network. Make sure you download our app; you'll be able to flick through the two stations and have a good look at the podcast section as well, where we'll be bringing you updates twice a week from the European Championships here on the Game Day Podcast from Talksport. In swing and delivery, and Harry Kane guides it in. It's a little flick of the head from the captain. We've got to get the, the right balance, find the players that are in form, find the players that we think are our best players for, for different games. Wonderful goal, Antoine Griezmann, yet again for France. Oh, what a magnificent strike! Kevin De Bruyne! Oh, that's 3-0, it's Robert Lewandowski! David Marshall has done it! We want to go to the tournament, we want to be competitive. I think if we can get out of the group stages in the in the tournament in the summer, they can become legends. Oh, what a goal! What a goal from Luka Modric! 1-0 to Wales! A free kick from Gareth Bale! You know, they're, they're a great group of lads all together and, and we're looking forward now to the, the start of the tournament. And welcome to part two of our Euros preview. Kevin Hatchard, European football expert, is with me. Hello. Hello. Great to be here. And Alex Crook, talk sport reporter. In fact, uh, a man who has been christened uh, Jock McCrook because he'll be following Scotland this tournament. Hello. Hello again. And um, if you didn't hear our first part of our preview, we did England and Scotland plus the group of death, the, uh, the tight group involving France, Portugal, Germany and Hungary. You can download that and listen to it. It's on the previous episode in this feed. Uh, today we're looking at uh, the other groups and the other teams that could cause England, Scotland, Wales problems over the course of the tournament, uh, including uh, Group C, Group B, Group A and Group E. So we'll look at Spain, we'll look at the Netherlands in detail. Uh, from this sort of side of the draw, from these these, these groups, who who else, apart we mentioned, obviously, France and Germany and Portugal, who else are you concerned about in terms of, or who else are you very positive or strong or sweet on, Kevin? Well, I think if you look at Italy, they've put together this long unbeaten run. It feels like Roberto Mancini has been able to get a real team spirit about that group. And they're a bit more of a modern side, a more progressive <laughs> side than some Italian sides in tournaments gone by. I think Federico Chiesa could have a fantastic tournament. I think what he showed for Juventus this season, in a Juventus team that didn't play all that well in many games, he showed he's a big game player. And I think he could make a real difference for them. You've got that core of experience. You've got Chiellini and Bonucci at the heart of defence. And the midfield is is lovely. Jorginho, uh, Nicolo Barella has, has had a great season for Inter. Uh, and there's there's real quality in that midfield. The issue with Spain, I guess, is that Luis Enrique, apart from losing his captain uh, on the eve of the tournament with COVID-19, Sergio Busquets, there's a feeling he doesn't quite know what his best team is. He doesn't quite know. Isn't his best team the under-21s? Uh, yeah, it could well be. <laughs> but if you're playing Lithuania every game, then you might be OK. Um, but I think there are question marks over that team. I think it was the right decision not to take Sergio Ramos, because I think it would have become a sideshow. People would have been saying, why is he not playing? Is he going to play? Is he going to be fit? So actually, it was it was the best idea, I think, uh, to leave him behind. But of those two teams, it seems to me that Italy 
are the strongest. Okay, uh, I like Denmark. Crook knows that I've had a little, uh, little sneaky little wager on them each way. Uh, Crook, if you had one team to pick from this side of the uh, draw, which would you, would you land down on? Well, you're going to accuse me of picking the obvious, but you haven't mentioned the number one ranked team in the world, have you, in Belgium? Well, we thought we'd um, leave the favourites to you, pal, to be honest with you, because that's what you usually pick. <laughs> well, I have had a small wager on Romelu Lukaku to be the Golden Boot winner, basically because I think their group is reasonably straightforward. I, like you, think Denmark uh, could once again be a surprise package, maybe not to the extent they were in 1992, but Russia don't excite me too much. I think Finland are just happy to be there and make up the numbers. Lukaku in the form of his life, 60th goal for his country uh, only last weekend. Obviously, some doubts about the fitness of De Bruyne, but they do have talented players like Tillemans who isn't even guaranteed a start. So I think if Belgium are ever going to challenge for a major trophy, then surely the time is now. I think he'll start. I think he'll start. I think he's a great little player. And I think Roberto Martinez absolutely loves him. Uh, let's talk about Group C. Uh, the Netherlands have been away from the international scene for a while. So let's bring them back into the fold. Marcel van de Kran from De Telegraph is here. Hello. Hello, hello, guys. All good. Uh, nice to see you, and nice to have you back on, uh, on the international stage. It's been a while, hasn't it? I mean, is, is there fever pitch? Is there excitement in uh, the Netherlands that uh, you're you're back in a major competition? This is for the first time since 2014. Twelve, yeah, fourteen in the major in the World Cup. Uh, 2012, when we were last in the Euros, and. Yeah, that didn't go down too well. Uh, all the players left, went home on different planes because uh, the fallout was so bad in the camp. <laughs> Nobody wanted to be uh, in, in in the same plane, never mind about sitting in the same row on a plane. What, what was the feeling then going into this one? It was all good. Uh, while Ronald Koeman was still our coach, we went to the final of the Nations League. It was the first time he resurrected the, the Dutch national team. He created some real good football, uh, nice attacking play. Then Ronald went, jumped on the first train to Barcelona, which we always feared could happen. And then there was a, a look around for a new coach, and it was Frank de Boer. And as a player, we all liked him. But as a coach, everybody was grinding the teeth because Crystal Palace sacking, uh, Inter Milan sacking, uh, America, the, the Major League sacking. And then, oh, now he's suddenly the best coach for the Dutch team. That was a very difficult one to swallow for a lot of people. A lot of critics have stood up and says, this man cannot take us to the European final, never mind about the winning it uh, this time in the Euros. And it's been like that most of the time. It's been very difficult for him and picking his best team, uh, finding other problems. Should he be playing 4-3-3, 5-3-2? He started messing the team around a little bit with that. No, it's 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 not an easy uh, not an easy way of uh, preparing. There's a bit of symmetry, isn't there, Marcel? With, with De Boer, has a bit of history with this competition. He was captain the last time that Holland played the Euros on home soil. Uh, missed two penalties, uh, one uh, in the match and one in the shootout <laughs> as they lost to Italy in the semis. Uh, I like you. I'm not very confident they will go that far again. I think Virgil Van Dijk, as we've seen with Liverpool. And Darren Lewis has told us all season long what a massive loss uh, that he is. I think he also brought the best out of Delict, um, so that's a problem for me. And as a Manchester United supporter, I know he's improved markedly since he left, but I just can't have any great faith in a team who have Memphis Depay as their talisman. Is oh, that unfair oh, of me? Yes, it is. Yeah, I think he's going to be player of the tournament, top scorer. This is this is his time, Marcel. Uh, this is his time. He's 27. He has improved. He has developed. And I have to admit, hold my hand up. I have not been a big fan of him in the past. And, um, it's also maybe a bit of his attitude uh, off the pitch, uh, the way he behaves. People tell me I'm getting old. Uh, Marcel, you're 58. You should understand that young people now have social media as one of their prime sort of motivating things in their life. And okay, we have to accept he has a massive lion uh, on the back of his, uh, on his back, on the back of his body. And people say, well, he has a lion heart as well. And he will take us to, to, to success in this fight, in these finals and Euros. And okay, last weekend, again, hold my hand up. He scored two goals. He's been very influential on this team. And uh, together with Wijnaldum, he's created the great, what they call it, the tandem, uh, you know, tandem in, in, in Holland. There's two people on the same bike. And uh, uh, them two are uh, uh, 
formidable. Uh, one in an attacking role, um, who's benefiting, why not the man I'm talking about, from his, his time with Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp. We, I think we've seen the best Wijnaldum there for many years. And he feeds into Memphis Depay, and that can be our rescue. All things are going wrong. You know, we have another player in attack, Quincy Promes. I will tell you briefly what's happened there. He um, has been accused of stabbing his cousin last September. Um, a big legal case has started. He denies it. The cousin says today in the Telegraph newspaper, he did stab me. Uh, I can't walk for the rest of my life properly. He should be brought into court before the Euro start. Why did Frank de Boer pick him? Everybody knows it's a much published, uh, published uh, affair, actually, in the Netherlands, in the media. And uh, everybody claims that the KNVB, the Dutch Federation, should never even have picked him for the tournament. Well, this is hanging, again, over Frank de Boer's selection, over his team. It's not a great start to go into the Euros like that. Uh, no Virgil van Dijk. Uh, a player with a legal case, uh, arguments over the system. Phew, uh, I don't know where to finish. <laughs> Probably after the group stage, if, you, if your predictions are coming true. <laughs> Kevin? And Marcel, to, to make it even worse, obviously Donny van der Beek is out and there's talk that he won't even be replaced. De Boer isn't even going to call up a, a replacement. I just wanted to ask you, I know you said that you had concerns over De Boer. What's the feeling in the Netherlands in general about him? Is that just a media thing or do you feel that that concern is amongst the fans as well? Because you look at those sackings at Palace, at Inter, at Atlanta United, the first two, he just couldn't work out a way to get along with people. And it was those personality clashes ultimately that saw him removed. Crook, how do you sort that out? <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. Uh, only joking. Go on, Marcel. <laughs> um, Frank de Boer is it's not a media thing. It is um, a big thing among the fans. Dutch fans do not have much belief in him at this moment. And I think only if he has immediate success in the, in the first match, that will change. You know, in tournaments, you always see that they're all, all of a sudden, all the Dutch streets turn orange, the, the flags are up and, and people get behind the team. And then the media follow, they move as well. We've seen it in the World Cup in 2014. Louis van Gaal went there with, we thought, only half a team. We didn't think we were capable of getting anywhere with that team. The system was ridiculous, we thought. It wasn't based on 4-3-3. They started with five defenders, which is not natural for the Dutch. And it didn't work out. And every time, halfway through a match when he was losing or things weren't going well, he changed it to a 4-3-3, which is the, the natural flow of Dutch football, which is also the way Frank de Boer's been brought up because he's an Ajax boy. Um, at Ajax, people do not really know how to play any other system. So we think, please, Frank, stick to the Dutch way of playing. Flair, two wingers, a striker, uh, a striker behind there. So you have like the, the number 10, what we call the shadow striker. That is a natural habit of, of the Dutch, of, of every Dutch player. That's how kids are brought up in football from the age of six in this country. And I, I think if that happens, if he, he sticks to that and we have a bit of success in the first bit, you maybe see some, some flair from the Dutch again. Marcel, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. Cheers, guys. All the best. Ball in, right footed shot, 3 0. Jorginho Vijnaldum, a lovely, incisive counter attack from the Dutch. Holland would always do okay, but to do more than okay, I don't see that. And the Ukrainian fans cannot believe what they're seeing. They've turned it around. They're capable, I think, of inconveniencing the best teams. You look at in World Cup qualification, they went to France and got a draw. The mood is actually pretty negative going into the tournament. The expectations are, are very, very low. That is mostly centred around the coach. He's actually got the, the best winning percentage of any Austria coach ever. But it's just the brand of football. For the second time tonight, North Macedonia lead away in Germany. Elsewhere in that group, Austria and Ukraine will probably sort of 
come up against one another for a place in the next round of the tournament. Although North Macedonia have, have picked up a few interesting results over their time as well, haven't they, Kevin? Yeah, they've beaten Germany in the World Cup qualifiers in March, which was a major surprise, and it wasn't a smash and grab either. They actually played really well in that game and probably deserved to win it, which says a lot about Germany as well. And this is a team that is very well organized, but they have players who can play. Enis Bardi, who plays his club football in Spain, uh, there was a concern over him. He, he had a, a, a COVID-19 diagnosis, but he's since tested negative and will be okay. But he's a set-piece specialist, so he can cause problems there. And Goran Pandev, who's 634 years old, uh, <laughs> he's going to be able uh, to really lead that team from the front. You know, he's experienced, he's canny, he scores goals. He He's a real threat. So I think they're in the category of, yes, they're happy to be there and proud to be there, but there's a feeling they could do damage to Austria or Ukraine. Because if you look at Austria specifically, mm. there are problems there. Oh, it's yeah. I mean, he's Marcel. not popular. The, the coach is not popular no, at all, ab- Franco Fodo. Ab- I mean, he's West German for a start. Scout yeah. for West Germany back in the 80s. He picks a lot of players from the Bundesliga. And the Austrian players are sort of looking around going, actually, we've got some youngsters playing at Rapid Vienna, for example, who are not getting into this squad. Yeah, so that's caused problems. And there's a feeling that he doesn't really use his players in their proper positions. I mean, you look at David Alaba, their star player. Mm. He has played very, very well for Bayern at centre-back in the last couple of seasons. He played left wing against England. He he turns up on the left wing, he turns up in midfield, and there's kind of a feeling sometimes he kind of does whatever he wants. And so there are big question marks over them, and they should be a really good side. We should be excited about Sasha Kalajic, who's a big, tall striker, had a great season for Stuttgart. We should be excited about Zabitzer. Conrad Leimer missed almost the whole season, but he's a fabulous player in midfield and he's back. But you just wonder whether they're going to actually be able to put it all together. What about Ukraine? Are we un- I was going to say, are we underestimating Ukraine a little bit, bearing in mind they finished above Portugal in qualifying? I was interested uh, in preparation. It seems a long time ago now, though, doesn't it? You know, know, the qualifying, because of the fact that it was 2018, 19, 18 months ago, sometimes you you sort of take qualifying as a sort of uh, a good sort of yardstick as to how they're going to perform. But it was such a long time ago. So many changes have been made since then. It's almost like a new tournament. Yeah, I think there are concerns because since then... They had that absolute hammering by France. Uh, they've, they've had some bad results since then. Uh, games they should have won that they drew. But there is talent in there. There really is. I mean, you look at Ruslan Malinovsky, who's just had a brilliant season oh, for he's Atalanta. He's a fantastic player, can score goals from range, uh, links the player very well. Uh, Crookie's already mentioned him, uh, Zinchenko. Really intelligent footballer. You don't get into a Pep Guardiola team as often as he does without being a really good player. And he will play further forward in midfield than he would do for Manchester City. Yarmolenko is still a really good player. You don't know quite what you're going to get from him, but he's the kind of guy that can whack one into the top corner and suddenly he's won you the game. So there are question marks. It looks as though uh, Georgi Buschan will get the nodding goal. And I think that's the right thing to do because Piatov, I think, has been uh, a point of weakness for quite some time. So I think that's a good decision by Andrei Shevchenko. And so I feel like they're probably in better shape than Austria are, but I can't see Ukraine going that far in the tournament. So Netherlands aren't in great shape. Austria aren't in great shape. Ukraine aren't in great shape. I mean, are we going to get, Crook, a, a spectacular result here? And, and North Macedonia are going to cause someone a real, a real bloody nose. Well, it's almost a free hit for them, isn't it? I mean, Kev, Kev has mentioned that They are happy just to be there, but I was reading some comments from their coach saying he's not happy just to be there. He wants to get out of this group, but he believes it's a group um, that they can get out of. We've talked a lot about unity on this program. Just from our chat with Marcel, it suggests that maybe the unity uh, in Holland as a nation is not perhaps what you would hope for going into a major tournament. I know that the Ukraine supporters are not particularly... Um, enamoured with Shevchenko either. You've mentioned about the Austrian coach, his negative football is turning off their supporters. So maybe in some ways, North Macedonia is the happiest camp and, and they've got the least to, to lose out of the four and, and that could well be their secret weapon. I reckon they're going to finish as one of the third best teams and get through to the knockout stages. I've just got this feeling. What, what, what's your, your, what's your, uh, your group standings at the end of this 
group, Kevin? I'll go for the Dutch to win it, but not in particularly impressive style necessarily. Although I agree with you, Sam, that actually I think Memphis will do really well. Uh, I think he looks really sharp. I thought he looked great against Scotland. He has taken on more responsibility. Uh, I think he could have really sulked after that move to Barcelona fell through, but he didn't. And he became a real leader for Leon. So I think that's important. So I think they will win it. I think Ukraine will finish second. Let's go for North Macedonia to finish third. Let's go for that. Interesting point on unity and the coach, by the way, with them. Their coach, Angelovsky, was given a a very short-term contract extension by the FA. And the players hated that. They really hated that. And they really rallied around him. And Pandev was the kind of spokesman for that. And so there is a feeling that they have a really good link with the coach. So that'll yeah. be interesting to see. He's the longest serving coach they've ever had in Macedonia. So, uh, and he's only about 44 years of age. Um, also, they, they, they score in every game. I think they've only failed to score twice in about 28, 27, 28 games or something like that. So they, 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 they do score a lot of goals. I mean, depends if they're not brilliant, but they, 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 they do score goals. Uh, I'm going to go for the Dutch to win the group. I'm going to go for uh, Ukraine to finish second, Macedonia to finish third, and Austria to continue their great trend of never winning a game at the European Championships. <laughs> I'll go Holland to win the group, and the romantic in me will say North Macedonia to Ooh. finish second and Ukraine third. Oh, let's see. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Marcus Fors, the Brentford striker, puts Finland in front at the Stade de France. Plays it inside to Lukaku, who chips it over the goalkeeper and restores Belgium's two-goal advantage. It's Cherishev. Can he pull the trigger this time? Yes, he can. 2-0 Russia. Denmark, Finland, Belgium and Russia clash in Copenhagen and St. Petersburg. The first game uh, is Russia against Belgium. It's a Saturday night game. It's uh, I'm doing that game, actually. All the games live on TalkSport, by the way. So make sure you get our app. Uh, download it via the App Store. You can flick between the two stations and uh, have a good look at the podcast section where we'll be here every uh, every couple of days as well. Um, Denmark, Finland, Belgium, Russia. You, you, you're doing a Finland game, Crookie, aren't you? Which one are you doing? Yeah, my tournament starts with the Scandinavia derby, if you like, on TalkSport 2 on the first Saturday of the tournament. Denmark against Finland. I think it's a really intriguing game because you've already given your reasons uh, for Denmark to be dark horses. Um, Obviously, this tournament always evokes memories of when they were called off the beach in 1992 to stun everybody and win it. I think with that in mind, any Denmark team were always on a hiding to nothing because clearly it's very difficult to emulate that success. They do have a genuine match winner in Christian Eriksen. His 
reversal of fortunes in the second half of the season has been one of the stories in Europe for me. He was on the transfer list in January, had a fantastic end to the campaign, so confidence will be high. He's been directly involved in 45% of the goals that Denmark have scored, uh, either finding the net himself or creating since 2018. So he's absolutely pivotal. They've got a very settled team. They only use 19 different players in qualifying, fewer than any of the other 24 nations. And they've got a decent back line as well. Kasper Schmeichel is an excellent goalkeeper and Simon Kerr in front of him had a really good season with AC Milan. So I think they will be Belgium's nearest challengers in this group. Finland, it's a great story, isn't it? Qualifying for a major finals for the first time. They too have got a good goalkeeper. Kev will tell us in Lucas Horetsky had an excellent season in the Bundesliga. Obviously, TMO Puki will be their, their main man and scored so many goals in qualifying. Uh, and Robin Lerd as well, a winger, has been Puki's main supplier. So, so they've got attributes, but I would expect Denmark to be too strong for them in the opening game. And I think it will be between Finland and Russia to go through in third place behind Belgium as group winners. Kevin, um, on uh, Denmark, Kasper Hulman is the uh, the manager there. He replaced uh, Orga uh, Horrider at the end of the, 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 well, actually in the middle of the pandemic because he was actually supposed to be the coach until the end of 2020, but because of the um, the pandemic and the delay, his contract came to an end. But they were they changed the coach despite the fact that they were like on this ridiculous unbeaten run because they wanted to change the style of football. They wanted this new young coach. They call him the Danish Pep Gilman. He, he's, he's sort of viewed in two different ways. It's, it's seen as a bit of a gamble by the federation because they had the solid, old, gnarly coach from, from, uh, uh, from Sweden or Norway who, who's come in and done a very good job all over Scandinavia, and he's done a good job with Denmark. And now they've released this different idea, this progressive idea. They're much more fun to watch now but is that going to translate to success on the pitch? I think it will do. I think Hulman's really interesting because he had a spell in Germany that didn't really work out for him earlier in his career. And he's really bounced back from that. And I think the feeling is that solidity is there already in the personnel. So you have the goalkeeper who you've mentioned, Kasper Schmeichel. We know what a big game player he can be. We saw that in the FA Cup final. Simon Kier, Andreas Christensen in front of him excellent centre-backs who ended the season very successfully. Thomas Delaney and Pierre-Emile Hoybier, I mean, what a pairing that is in midfield. So you've got great energy and solidity there. I do think they're too reliant on Ericsson, and I do think trying to open up the team it is partially an attempt to make them less reliant on Ericsson. And the big worry is they don't have a guaranteed centre-forward. They have centre-forwards who can do well at certain things, Rathwaite is a decent player. You can't be a Barcelona player if you're not. Yusuf Paulsen have seen a lot in Germany, but he's not going to score you lots and lots of goals. He's, he works hard. He is tall and strong, but he, he's never been a regular goal scorer. So that's the big question. And you've got Vind as well, who, who, who doesn't play regularly, but when he does play, I mean, he's, he's been very good for Copenhagen. He's had a bit of an yeah. injury. He doesn't score a lot of goals. I mean, he scored a lot of penalties, but he doesn't score a lot of goals. Yeah, and they're very excited about him. Uh, and I think he could make an impact going forward. And there are lots of kind of bits and pieces players. I mean, Robert Skoll is carrying a bit of an injury at the moment, but he's got a left foot like no other. I mean, oh, honestly, this he guy... Plays a, he plays at fullback. He's, he's so a former he's winger, really isn't interesting. he? Yeah, so he's really interesting. So he, when he was at Copenhagen, his final season at Copenhagen, played as a kind of wide forward or could play, you know, through the middle. Scored 30 goals in the Superliga. Came to Germany... And they made him into a wingback. And it's kind of worked, uh, but I don't think we've quite seen the real Robert Skoll yet in Germany. But the free kicks he hits and the shots he hits from distance. I mean, he hits a goal of the season contender every single season. So he's the kind of player that could come up with a magic moment in one of the games for them. Uh, Russia, um, they've got a coach who's not very popular, despite the fact that he took them to uh, the quarterfinals of the, uh, uh, the World Cup on home soil um they've got a lot of players who don't really do it outside of russia and that seems to be the sort of feeling about russia but of course they've got games inside russia which will will, will sort of make them feel at home i don't really hold too much hope for them their goalkeeper situation is 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 difficult because they wanted to get akin back but he wouldn't come back so they've got a experienced ish goalkeeper but someone who's not experienced at international uh, level 
And it, it looks like a lot of their key players who came back for the tournament three years ago have gone off into the sunset. So it, it's a slightly difficult uh, situation for Stanislav Churchisov, who is the uh, the manager of, of Russia. I don't I don't see them getting out of the group. No, they wouldn't be the first or the last team to overachieve on, on home soil. And I think that home advantage really played a, a massive part at the World Cup. And also the the lack of expectation from the Russian nation. I don't think the, <laughs> the fans had any kind of belief, but they, they proved them wrong. And as you say, the fact they are playing they are playing in St. Petersburg may help on that front. Kev has already mentioned that Goran Pandev for North Macedonia is 634. I think Yuri Zhirkov <laughs> for Russia is 635. Mm. Um, and he's still very much part of their setup. Unbelievable. They're going to play direct. He's, we know he's, that. 30, he's 38 in, in, in September, you know. <laughs> it's, it's incredible um, that he's still going strong. We know they'll be direct. They were at the World Cup, but I think... Like Croatia, actually, the only way is down for me when it comes to Russia. And I, I agree with you, Sam. I think they will struggle to get out of this group. Just stay off social media if you're Artem Zubia. <laughs> I wondered if that would get a mention. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, a video that uh, once seen cannot be unseen. I'm, I'm happy I haven't seen it, put it that way. Um, he's very important for them, though. And, and there's a reason that he got brought back because he is absolutely the focal point. He's kind of the heart of the team, really. He's crazy, but they will very much depend on him. And they will part the bus. They will look to be defensively strong, as we saw at the World Cup. I do like Golovin. I think he's a really interesting player. Had a good least. end to the season at Monaco, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And Niko Kovac got a tune out of him. And I really like Alexei Miranchuk. I think he's talented and he didn't play as much as he would have liked to at Atalanta, but obviously there's a lot of competition for places there, but at least won't have been overworked. So there's talent there, but it's whether Chichesov will, you know, release the shackles and allow them to show that talent. So we'll see. Um, obviously the big team in this group is Belgium Roberto Martinez with the golden generation that has to shine at this tournament because a lot of them are getting to an age now where they're at their peak and if they don't deliver at this tournament you will ask that sort of question will will they ever deliver remember going back to sort of like you know the, the Rui Costa days and, and Portugal when their golden generation with Figo et al didn't end up winning a major tournament when they felt like they probably should have done. Um, I wonder whether or not we're going to be in the same situation with Belgium. The mood is pretty good in that Belgium camp. I was lucky enough to speak to Roberto the other the other day and he seems to be flying. He's excited about going into the tournament. And I suppose you would be if your front line was Lukaku. You had both Hazard brothers. You had Kevin De Bruyne. You've got Castagna playing as a fullback. You've got Vertonghen, Alderweireld and Denier who are, let's be honest, experienced and very good defenders. And you've got one of the best goalkeepers too. I guess one of his biggest issues could be keeping Edin Hazard away from the hotel buffet. <laughs> that could be oh, a problem. Harsh. That, that, that's out of order because the hotel buffets don't usually do those brilliant Belgian frits. Um, <laughs> it, it can only get them in certain places. He loved, He loves Belgian frits. He once invited me over for dinner once, right? I said, what are we going to have? He went, frits. Sounds a good night. No, Did I you go? I didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, my prediction for Belgium I've already mentioned I really fancy uh, Lukaku for Golden Boot I, I don't think Lukaku gets the credit among Premier League fans for just how good a striker he is and certainly not from Manchester United supporters I thought he was excellent um, for United and a pretty poor side that maybe didn't play to his strengths he's kicked on uh, to a new level in Italy so he is going to be their, their main talisman and the other prediction would be that Belgium will have a lot of players in the team of the tournament, but will probably just come up short again. I'm just not convinced they quite have that mentality to get themselves over the line. If they were to come up against France, we've already said you have to beat France to win the tournament. I think they might well just come up short again. Where do we see Kevin De Bruyne's injury and how much of an impact is it going to have? Because that was quite a severe injury picked up in the Champions League final. And although they've sort of been playing it under the radar, we'll see, we'll see. Um, the, the, The fact is, is that if it is causing him a great deal of pain, which it clearly was on the night, then it's going to be difficult for him to be at his 100% best. And at his 100% best, he's one of the best players in the world. I think the good thing for them is they've got time, Sam, because if he missed the first game, if he missed the first two games, I think they'll still be okay mm. because I think it's a group that they will win. Uh, I think they'll be okay. It was interesting because 
Roberto Martinez initially seemed quite upbeat, didn't he, about that injury and said that he'd had that minor procedure on the fracture and that they felt that he was possibly even going to be able to play without a protective mask, but then was a little bit more downbeat about his chances of making the opening game. But I think even if he was to miss that first game or even the first two, they'll still be okay. I think the bigger worry is about Eden Hazard because he's had this horrific ankle injury. He had the plate put in that hasn't really worked and there've been arguments between Belgium's doctors and Real Madrid's doctors about the best way to treat it and since coming back from the ankle injury he's had endless muscle injuries and this is a guy that doesn't really have that kind of injury record you can never have really said in seasons gone by that he was no. massively injury prone but he's also so, a guy Kevin that never goes to the gym in fact and uh, that conversation that I had with him it was in the, the club gym at Cobham and I sat, it was me, him and Olivier Giroud. We were sitting down and Giroud went to him, Edin, by the way, this is the gym. <laughs> because <laughs> he never does any of that sort of work. So but eventually think, that was going to come back and hurt him, I think. But I think with him, it's about, it's about balance, isn't it? And it's about his ability to turn and his ability to pl- take yeah. players on. And he was never going to be the most athletic player and hasn't been. I mean, you look at him at his very best. It's all about that almost balletic ability to kind of glide past people and come out tight spaces. Plays on instincts as well, doesn't he? Yeah, completely. But the, the problem for him is it's almost like a basketball player in a way. You know, the way he relies on those swift turns and getting out of trouble, if you suddenly can't trust your ankle and then you're getting loads of muscle injuries and that kind of thing, if you can't trust your body anymore, is it going to make him more conservative? Yeah, is it's it going to make effect. him just pop the ball off, whereas normally he'd attack somebody? So what Azar will we get and how long will we get him for? They're the two big questions for Belgium going forward. But they do have a lot of terrific players. And I echo what Crookie says about Lukaku. He's unbelievable. Proven oh, Premier League goal scorer. Goals he scored the other year. night. I saw him play on uh, Sunday night against Croatia. The goal he yeah. scored there. I mean, he just, he, oh, just looks like a completely... He looks so full of confidence. He looks at the top of his game and he looks like he fancies it big style. And I think yeah. you said that uh, you've tipped him for top goal scorer, Crook. I mean, the other added bonus, I mean, it's, it's not the most uh, you know outlandish outsider of a pick from you, surprise. Um, but um, he also uh, he also takes penalties as well, and that is a key, you know, in that market that is a key key facet, isn't it? Someone who takes penalties reliably, and I think there'll be quite a few penalties because you know with VAR at this tournament and the way that it'll be administered is is it, it will, there will be a few penalties. There'll be more penalties than I think there was at the last Euros when they weren't using VAR. Um, and and on that, just very quickly, they have changed the handball law, so it is slightly different going into this tournament apparently it's it's supposed to be a bit simpler in terms of that it has to be deliberate handball or you have to be making yourself unnaturally bigger in order to uh, to be penalized or if you are scoring with your hand or it is you that touches the ball with your hand just before you score then that is handball all the stuff that we've seen with the idea of Roberto Firmino. I don't know if you watched this game earlier in the season, Kevin, uh, at Tottenham, where he handballs it inside the centre circle and then Liverpool go on and score and they bring it back and say, oh, no, 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 that was a handball in the build-up to a goal. We're like, hold on a second. Even for the last set of guidance, that was wrong. But anyway, yeah. you know, that, that, that kind of thing is not going to happen again, which is, which is good. Yeah, I think it is good. I think it's fairer. I think it makes a lot more sense. Um but there will still be penalties whereby, you know, the ball is hammered at somebody. Yep. And if their arm's a little bit away from their yep. body, they will still be Definitely, because that's because, the prescriptive rule in, in, in Europe. Yep. That's how they do it. Yeah, absolutely. So there'll still be some that we look at and think. I mean, I'm still a little bit baffled about how Nico Williams got sent off for Wales the other Are night. Are you? I'm not, because it was going <sighs> into the goal. And because his hands came down on top of the ball like that, almost like he was doing a volleyball smack down on top of the ball. That's what it looked I, like yeah, to me. I, I, I can understand the pen. I'm just not sure about the red. I think but you have I, to be set off point, if the ball's going in. Here. If the ball's going in, you have to, you have to be set the, off. It's because it's so close and it's the angle. Yeah. So I, I just wondered about that one. Yeah, yeah I, I, but, I, I think but, it yeah. falls into that category of, is it clear and obvious to overturn that decision? I think there'll be a lot of discussion about that. Yeah. The one thing we know about the VAR in the UEFA competitions is it's going to work a lot better. A lot smoother. Yeah. 
with, with, yeah. with a lot more seamless sort of communication amongst everybody. Um, seamless communication uh, amongst the Italian contingent. Certainly Roberto Mancini has got a team ethic going once again. He's restored pride in the national jersey. They've been absent from the world stage for too long. I mean, missing a World Cup, it's almost like treachery in uh, Ita- in Italy. <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised. I'm surprised, actually. Was it Gasparini who was in charge when they didn't qualify for the uh, for the World Cup and he messed up that substitution on the in the playoff? Oh, and- Ventura. Oh, Ventura, yeah, Ventura, sorry, not Gasparini. And Daniele uh, Ven- De Rossi looked yeah. ready to uh, Dan- Daniele De Rossi, he said to Daniele De Rossi, do you want to go up and, uh, and warm up? And Daniel De Rossi said, no, I'm not warming up. Why do you want me? I'm a defensive midfield player. We need to win the game. And he just stood there, folded his arms, then uncurled his left arm and just pointed at Lorenzo Insigne. <laughs> that was it. That was the end of Ventura's reign right yeah. there. It was all over from that moment in time. It's certainly very different now. They've beaten an unbeaten record. They've gone on uh, and qualified with 10 out of 10 in qualifying, but also done well in the Nations League as well. They're a good team. They've 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 got a little bit more adventurous over the last little while as well which I think is something that we might see more of over the course of the tournament but goals bit of an issue lots of different goal scorers no standout goal scorer crook yeah and this is where one of your shouts for the tournament comes in for Jorginho to be Italy's leading goal scorer and I guess that doubles up with what you were saying about expecting more penalties I think we can probably read more into their Nations League campaign than we can into qualifying yes they qualified with ease but you look at the group it wasn't particularly taxing was it Finland Greece Bosnia Herzegovina Armenia and Liechtenstein don't talk um, about Armenia in front of Kev <laughs> Uh, yes, our uh, Eurovision expert will come on to that, I'm sure. Um, I know Kev will tell us that, that Italy under Mancini have become more expansive. I think it's difficult to get away from the stereotype that a major tournament history tells us they will be defensively resolute as well. I think those two players in front of the back line, Jorginho and Marco Verratti, will be very important for Mancini. But you're right, Sam. The question is, where will the goals come from? Because as much as it can be seen as a positive uh, that they got goals from lots of different areas in qualifying, I think at a major tournament, you do need um, your strikers to really step up to the plane. I think there's still a a question mark, is there not, Kev, in in both the case of uh, Immobile and Insignia, whether they can cut it on the international stage at a major tournament. Kev, I wanted to ask you actually about Immobile because he's travelled the whole of the continent but he only ever seems to score goals in Serie A. Why doesn't that translate? Well, his time at Dortmund was difficult because the team wasn't playing particularly well. He just didn't settle. You know, it was still relatively early in his career. And I don't think Jurgen Klopp ever managed to work out how to get the best out of him. He's quite, in some ways, a straightforward footballer. And that's not to denigrate him. But if you give him the right service, he is a goal machine. I mean, you look at the volume he scores at, in terms of Lazio, uh, has done a terrific job for them, has also scored goals in the Champions League, so he can do it, but it's whether Italy can get him in the right positions to score on a regular enough basis. I love Insigne. I think he's a terrific player, and I really would like him to have a great tournament, but I think Chiesa, who I mentioned, I think he is a really important player for them as well. I I really like them. Uh, I think good goalkeeper, Great centre-backs, good backup in Alessandro Bastoni. So they have depth mm. in that area. The midfield's lovely, but Ella's had a great season for Inter. It's great uh, international football pace as well, isn't it? You know, Jorginho's yeah. like, he's, you know, he's lighting the cigar up sitting there. He's loving this. This is great for him. Yeah, and there's a really nice kind of blend in that midfield area. So I do think they have everything you need. And this is kind of personal for Roberto Mancini as well, because this is a guy that, largely associated international football with frustration because he was dropped very early on in his career uh, for uh, going out on the lash in America when he was uh, <laughs> they were on a, they were having a friendly and he went out until the early hours good lad but I was going to say back when that was fashionable to go and do that yeah so he got dropped and never came back and or, or never came back in in that manager's time and then uh, had a hissy fit before USA 94 as well and he's admitted that he's made big mistakes as a player, should have played a lot more for Italy, should have been a much more forceful presence on the international scene. And so this is personal for him, and he's done a terrific job. I mean, he's picked them up off the canvas 
and he has given them their pride back and he's given them a feeling that they are a unit. It's not about disparate parts and egos. They actually do feel like a bit of a club side in a way. Yeah, Berardi at Sassuolo has also scored goals and uh, Belotti as well is an option. They sort of almost change those two up front, Mobile and, and Belotti on a regular basis. I think they're a good team. They're an, another outside pick that I've mentioned as well beforehand. Uh, I quite like them. They were roughly about 12 to 1 a little while ago. I think they've come in a little bit as a result of people looking at what they've been doing over the last few months. Um, okay, um, quick word on Turkey. Another uh, Turkey and Swiss, actually, because both of those two teams, you know, they've got quality in there. Turkey have done very, very well. And some people think that they might be a sort of a dark horse for the whole tournament. That side of the draw, this from Group A, that side of the draw is quite a nice route towards the latter stages. Turkey score a lot of goals. But they concede a lot of goals as well, Crook. They're sort of Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, they took four points off France in qualifying. But again, as you said earlier, that seemed a long time ago now. Uh, This is almost like the dad's army of international football, isn't it? Because you've got 35-year-old Burek Yilmaz, who is in incredible form uh, and will very much be one of Turkey's main men. So will his little teammate, uh, Mehmet Zeci Celik. Have I said that right, Kevin? You'll, you'll correct Jellic. my pronunciation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like a je- Jellic. Yeah. Yeah. Just do it for yeah. us again, go on. Mehmet Zeci Celik. Is that right, Kev? Yeah. Uh, he's, he's been a revelation at Lille this this season and they're going to relish the role aren't they Turkey of, of being party pooper first game live on Talk Sport against Italy Friday night they've actually got the younger squad uh, of the 24 participants so you do ask the question will that lack of tournament experience count against them we discussed that when it came to England in the previous pod Switzerland I, I kind of feel like the football team reflects the nation they're inoffensive they're hard to beat I'm not sure they've got that ruthless streak when it comes to a major tournament. Shakiri in the past has been their talisman, but hasn't played anywhere near enough football for Liverpool this season. I think that's the case with a lot of the Swiss players. For me, they're vulnerable, and that opening match they've got against Wales is huge for both teams. I think whoever wins that has got a great chance of, of maybe sneaking into third place. Yeah, I think it's a 25-degree heat game as well, by the way, because it's a, I think it's like something like a 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock kickoff in, in Baku. And already it's like 27, 28 degrees there. And the sun goes down very quickly in Baku, but it's still it's still hot. And I think we saw that in the Europa League final. It was a lot later kickoff than that. So it's, it's going to be very, very warm there. And Wales are going to have to deal with that. So is Switzerland as well. This team, though, Kevin, have been together for a very, very long time. Seferovic misses a lot of chances, doesn't he? I know yeah. he scored, he scored, <laughs> he scored some goals as well. But he is, he's had some howlers too. Yeah, uh, firstly, I'm delighted that uh, Crookie's clearly been on the Duolingo, so that's very good uh, in the in the build-up to this tournament, getting those pr- pronunciations uh, on what, point. What about the UEFA website that tells you how to uh, pronounce all the names? And then you've got... <laughs> this is the worst thing, right? Because obviously we call everybody... Uh, mostly, by the way, it's spelled. You know, those of us who try quite hard to get it right get a lot of, like, yes. irritated people <laughs> who, who tell us that we're, you know, this or that on Twitter. But... Emil Forsberg, who I think has been around the scene for a very long time. How do you say that name? Forsberry, according to UEFA. Yeah, this is one of those, right? It's it's more like Forsberia, isn't it? I think if you're you're, you're Swedish, it's Forsberia. Who's who's going to do that, by the way? Once you've got Forsberg... Yeah. And it's already nailed down. Yeah. It's very difficult to shift it. Yeah. Well, luckily, That's I'm not doing thing. Sweden. Adrian Durham yeah. texted me and said to me, What are you going to go with Forsberg? I went, um, I'm not doing Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> That's the perfect way out of it. Perfect way out of it. It's the whole Bruno Fernandes, Bruno Fernandes question. Yeah. Um, I, I forgot what we were talking about. We were talking now. about Switzerland. That's right. Yes. Um, I think they have big question marks, one of which is about travel. Because yeah. they go to Baku, come back to Rome, and go back out to Baku. Yeah. So that's a real drain on the resources for them, I think. I agree with you about Sferovic completely, and I would put the same um, he, him in the same bracket as Spray Lembolo. Because if you look at Embolo, he gets into lots of good goal-scoring positions. Yep. But if you look at, and I know that this is... Uh, you know, uh, uh, the word of the devil for some. But if you look at XG, if you look at expected goals, no, no, his I'm actual with you. tally 
is way below what it should be. Yeah. So that's where it can be really useful because it can tell you is the striker being as accurate as he should and be. And you match that up with what is. your eyes see as well. And we've seen over the course of the years, this is a Switzerland team and he is one of those who, who create chances. I mean, you've got Rodriguez who comes up with fantastic free kicks. Actually been yeah. playing as a member of the back three recently. He's another one who's a really talented guy, but he's never really kicked on to the next level. You know, I think there was one point where I thought he was going to be a star of Italian football. And actually, he's sort of gone backwards rather than forwards. And he's stayed in that sort of middle ground of, of where he operates in the pecking order of European football. But, you know, you've got, you mentioned, you've got um, uh, Shakiri, Shaka, Mbolo, Seferovic, Mbabu from the right-hand side can create chances. But it's putting them away, which is going to be a big issue. I think it'd be a low-scoring game against Wales. I wouldn't be surprised if they came away with three points. I think they'll find it difficult against Italy and Rome because that's always going to be difficult for everybody. And it's a key game, that final game against Turkey, which again is in Baku. The temperature there might again suit um, 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 Turkey more than it suits Switzerland. It's a five o'clock kickoff out. It's about eight o'clock, so it should be all right, but humidity will still be high. Alex? Do we think this could be the lowest scoring group when you look at the teams involved? I think it's possible. I, th- I think if you look at Turkey, I-, I know what you mean about them conceding lots of goals sometimes, but they have got decent centre-backs. Mary Demiral is a, is a very good player, has shown that for Juventus. Chalos Uyunju, I think he's getting better all the time. I think the, the big concern about him when he was at Freiburg, and the thing I wondered about when he came to the Premier League, was would he be able to cut out those errors that have kind of blighted his development. We knew how good a, a defender he was in terms of in the air and in terms of his tackling. And he does seem to have tightened up a bit, I think. And you've got Ozan Kabak uh, as a decent backup as well. So they're quite, they can be quite solid, Turkey. Switzerland have changed this back three, I think, to give themselves a bit more security. Uh, Italy have a very, very solid uh, set of centre-backs as well. So I think you might be absolutely right, to be honest. Senor Gunes in charge of Turkey once again, as he was at the World Cup in 2002, where he took them to, to third place. So uh, he's got tournament pedigree, so he knows the manager situation as well. Um, Wales, obviously, the main focus of attention for, for talk sport in this, in this group. Um, let, let, let's hear from, from, from David Brooks uh, first of all. He's been speaking to Alex Crook in the build-up to the tournament. We've been speaking to a few of the players that played at Euro 2016. Obviously, you'd have been watching that as a avid Wales supporter what, what do you remember about that tournament what were you doing where were you watching the games I think I was in somewhere like Magaluf or somewhere like that I think um, obviously I wasn't really in the Wales set up and uh, I was quite young at the time so uh, I think I was on a bit of a lads holiday watching it and and kind of cheering on them from a, a fan's perspective so yeah I was obviously delighted to, to see them do well last time and, and hopefully we can try and emulate this uh, in, in the upcoming tournament and what would you have said to me if I'd said to you five years ago when you were enjoying the off-season in Magaluf that five years later you're going to be on this stage? Probably wouldn't have believed it, to be honest. Um, obviously, it's, it's been it's a very... Um, obviously, football moves quick and, and to, to be able to say that I'm, I'm coming away this time is, uh, like I say, it's, it's, it's a massive honour and I'm really thankful. <laughs> well, he's not in a bar in Magaluf this time around. He's going to be very much part of the, the Wales squad. I mean, I look at Wales and I have this sort of assessment. I don't know whether this is is right or not and you've spent a bit more time with them than I have Crook but they they have some really good experienced players who have been there and done it who are a little bit injury prone they have some good promising youngsters that are coming through but in the age group in between there's not enough quality I think that's a very fair assessment um, I have to say they're a very confident group I spent a, a day down in, in Cardiff at their pre-tournament uh, media afternoon there's a definite sense of togetherness I've seen their run to the semis in 2016 described as the best lads holiday ever and I think Robert Page will be shrewd enough to try and replicate that maybe David Brooks will be in a bar in Magaluf then <laughs> you never know uh, doing some shots uh, perhaps the overall squad has a bit more depth um, arguably than five years ago they've got some talented youngsters coming through like Brooks like Nico Williams um, Harry Wilson had a good season at Cardiff and, and Dan James actually played well in dispatches for Manchester United as well but for me the starting 11 isn't as strong as 2016 they don't have a lot of players who are playing regularly in the Premier League I think Wayne Hennessy the goalkeeper has played more games for Wales than he has for Crystal Palace in the last two or three years so I think that is a problem it's one that Dean Saunders highlighted to me when we were down in, in Cardiff Obviously, they've got Gareth Bale, who can be a well-beater on his day. And, and there were there were flashes of that for Tottenham towards the end of the season. So it goes without saying that he will be key. 
But again, like Russia, the only way is down for Wales. How do they possibly try and emulate what they achieved in in 2016? It is uh, mission impossible. I think the key is you don't. I think the key is that you kind of, you take the positives from that, obviously, but I think you don't put that pressure on yourself. If they were to get out the group, that's a big achievement. That is a big, big achievement for that group of players, for that nation to be a, a major tournament. You know, I mean, we all remember, I mean, you know, how long it took Wales to get back into a major tournament. Yeah. Bearing in mind the players that they had in, in the sort of 80s and 90s, it's unbelievable that it's taken so long and it's only because of the expanded nature of this tournament that they've managed yeah. to do that. I mean, Paul Bowden hitting the bar, things like that. Yeah. So you remember all that stuff. And I, I think they do have a world-class player in Gareth Bale. And, and for all the talk about, you know, is he committed to Real Madrid and all of his injury problems and all that, he's a different player when he plays for Wales. He's committed you know to that. Wales, isn't he? There's no doubt about that. And has been a big game player for Real Madrid. I mean, for all of the talk of him, you know, not being a success at Real, I reject that totally. I mean, look at the honours he's won. Exactly. Look at the big games that he's turned up in. I was in you know, Kiev Cop- in 2019, Kevin. Believe me, that oh, yeah. alone put, should put you into Real Madrid folklore. Yeah, two Champions League finals where he's turned up big with big, big goals. You go back to that Copa del Rey final that he scored that wonder goal in. And, you know, he's a big game player. So if they can keep him fit, get him in the right positions to score goals, I think they can do some damage. I don't expect them to go beyond, uh, you know, the last 16, but I think they could sneak past Switzerland and maybe get into that knockout phase. It's a bit difficult for Robert Page, isn't it? We won't go into the reasons why he is in charge of the team, but it is quite a difficult sort of situation for him because he is the sort of assistant manager, but he's now the manager. He's a different character uh, to Ryan Giggs, and he is at force four. He's a, he's a passionate guy. He's really excitable. He, he wants to, to see his team play with attacking flair, but they are built on pragmatism. So it, it's difficult, I suppose, for him to sort of try and all of a sudden thrust his style upon the players. He's really got to go with the plan, hasn't he? Yeah, well, the automatic assumption when you lose a a national icon like Ryan Giggs from the touchline is that it's going to have a detrimental effect. I'm not convinced it will have that much effect uh, for the main reason that I'm not sure the players were completely having Ryan Giggs as manager, to be honest. So I I don't think they'll miss him in the dressing room. I don't think they'll miss him on the touchline. I think in some ways, Robert Page as a manager, commands more respect from that group of players than Ryan Giggs. Uh, let's move on to Group E. Spain, Poland, Slovakia and Sweden. It's Crookie's favourite group. He's been talking about it all week. <laughs> he can't wait to get on and discuss it in detail. What did you say to me when you saw this group? Well, I made a little note next to each group and uh, in brackets next to Group E, it just says, this is rubbish. I, I, I'm just not excited by Group E. Obviously, you've That's got Spain in there. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> you've got Spain with all of their great players and in the first tournament for Emmerich Laporte, Poland with arguably the best goal scorer in Europe up top. Sweden, a young emerging team with, I think, 100 players that have got COVID and are not going to be able to take part from what I was reading earlier <laughs> on today. It opens no it up brilliantly. And no Zlatan. And Slovakia, who aren't going to get any points. What, what's the problem? Well, well, you've got Spain, but it's Spain in name only, isn't it? This, this to me, and, and we'll get Kev's view in a minute, it feels like a transitional tournament for Spain. Well, it, it sounds like a like transitional building. week for Spain because they've just added six <laughs> players to the training bubble because of the COVID situation involving Sergio Busquets, who's not going to play in the first game. If they could play 11 midfielders, I think they might have a chance. Um, and I know Gerard Moreno has had an incredible season for Villarreal. But again, we're yet to see if he can deliver on the biggest stage at international level. You mentioned Robert Lewandowski, described by Paolo Sosa, the Poland coach, as, quotes the best sniper in the world. No question for me, he is the best number nine in the world. His numbers this season for Bayern Munich have been staggering, even by his own incredible standards. But when it comes to the international stage and... Kev might argue this. I think he's a flat-track bully. All six goals he scored in qualifying were against weaker teams. He's only ever scored twice at a major tournament. Well, I think the problem is the players around him. You know, the players are far far better. You know, there is no question that the team he usually plays with week in, week out is better. But that doesn't mean that if they can create chances for him, he won't score goals. I think it's more about the guys around him. I think Paolo Sosa has tried a few different things, tried a few different shapes and formations. It'll be interesting to see what he eventually goes with. But my concern about them is, 
I'm not sure about them at the back. Camille Glick is a, is a strong defender, but there's not a, a huge amount of mobility there. Bednarek is, <laughs> yeah, but, but Kevin, do you remember their game against Hungary? Sosa's first game in charge in March, right? He hadn't seen the players or met the players. He only ever met them on Zoom and then got together just for the camp. He changed the system to a back three. He ditched Camille Glick, decided he wanted mobility. He wanted fast action players. We want to play with a little bit more style. At halftime, they're 3-0 down to Hungary. And he's like, <laughs> Camille Glick, get over it and yeah. get in that team. And he hasn't been out of it since. Cam, in you come. In you come. Yeah, yeah. I think there are concerns over them. There, there's no doubt. And you look at Sweden, for example, they did look stronger, and I still think they are, but this COVID-19 scare is a, is a big problem because Kulusevski, we know how good he is and how well he's played for Juventus. Really exciting young player. Uh, Matty Svanberg looks as though he's out as well. And so we don't know how long those guys are going to be out for or how many other players are going to test positive in the next few days. So they've got a, a concern, but they also have one of the most potentially exciting players at the tournament, Alexander Izak, who is a guy that has had to work really hard to get to this stage because at Dortmund, he was dubbed uh, as persona non grata. He, he was seen as a player that, they didn't want anymore and, and couldn't really see the value of went to Spain and has been terrific. It was absolutely brilliant for Real Sociedad and the season just gone, scored 17 goals in La Liga. And he has got a really interesting skill set because he can do everything. And I think he's going to be potentially a breakout star of this tournament. Forsberg is very intelligent or Forsberg, uh, depending on which way we're going to go. Um, really intelligent, pulls the strings very well and importantly for him hasn't been overworked by Leipzig. So has played a significant role in their season, but didn't start all of the games. And so he'll arrive fairly fresh to the tournament. So even though they don't have Zlatan, that could be a good thing in the sense you won't have that sideshow. You won't have that distraction. You won't have that constant focus on Zlatan. And so I actually think they're in a much better position than either Slovakia or Poland. Just a final word on Poland. I also saw um, his unveiling that Paolo Sosa uh, actually mentioned the Pope. Um, do we think they might need divine intervention to get out of this group? <laughs> that might be what he was aiming for. Because, yeah, I think they probably would need it to get very far. Do you know what the interesting thing about Some would say they've already got a guard up front. Hey! Oh, very good. God you've or taken coach. my joke and you've trumped it. Um, <laughs> Paolo Sosa's not going to be around for very long, I don't think. You know, um, From what I understand, he's only given a six-month contract until the end of the tournament. And there's already discussions that he's going off somewhere else afterwards, I think. So, uh, very interesting story of career. his career. Yeah, he has yeah. had that kind of career that he's kind of bounced around. He was at Bordeaux, obviously, fairly recently. And uh, that has obviously gone horribly wrong for Bordeaux um, after he went. So, so yeah, he's an interesting character, Paolo Sosa. He's, he's quite the nomadic manager. Right, OK. Um, quick word on Slovakia, Crook. We know you've been studying hard on them. What have you got for us? Uh, again, not a team that excite me very much. I think they're happy well, just to be at their, what's your best stat about them? Come on. Second success. Well, they're, they're at the second successive Euros. Um, I think that in itself is an achievement again, like, like this group again, it's going to be low, low scoring because I can't see where the goals are coming from. Undoubtedly, Marek Hamšík. You keep saying is, that about loads of groups, man. but ultimately the tournament, if you look at the bookmakers, they think there's going to be a lot more goals over a hundred goals in the group stages is the, is this, is the line. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. And I know the World Cup more than delivered in spades on that front, but I think this will be a more defence-minded tournament, to use the word that, that Kev keeps using. There are so many pragmatic coaches. I don't see it being uh, particularly expansive. And I mentioned Marek Hamšík there, who historically has been the man that Slovakia looked to. Their best player, arguably, is at the back, Milan Skriniar, who's been linked with Liverpool on more than one occasion. So I think if they are going to get any joy in this group, it will be uh, built from uh, defensive foundation at the back and, and hope to try and nick goals on the counter attack but I, I think they're making up the numbers my, my two my two uh, pennies worth here in a, in a Kev Hatchard Eurovision style is <laughs> du point I think they'll get two points I think they'll get two draws somewhere. Two nil-nils 2-1-1s or something like that Slovakia we mentioned quickly about um, the number of goals there um, Kev the one thing that has been clarified as well we mentioned about handball earlier where they're going to measure the last point of an attacker on an offside, right? So obviously in the Premier League this season, that has been a big bone of contention. 
now they're going to measure it right from the very top of the shoulder. So the whole Patrick Bamford pointing over there, tell me where, you know, telling you where he wants the ball, that thing's got, that's not going to be ruled offside. I think you might get a reaction to that, especially early on, where a lot of those sort of very, very tiny offsides, they let them go. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, you look at these decisions and that Bamford one's the perfect example. How absurd to, totally to rule out a goal with a guy who's pointing where he wants the ball to be. Ultimately, what do we want in football? We want excitement. We want goals. We want fairness. That is demonstrably unfair to basically rule a goal out with a guy who's simply pointing to where he wants the ball to go. So all of these little changes, I'm hoping, are going to reduce the number of controversies so we can actually talk about great goals and great performances. Right, loads of goals, loads of great performances, loads of fun. It's all on TalkSport. 51 games over the course of a month. TalkSport, TalkSport 2. We've got podcasts every single day as well with the European Daily Podcast, but also with us here twice a week at least on the Game Day Podcast feed. Alex Crook will be with me. Kevin Hatchard will be dipping in and out. Trevor Sinclair will be there as well. We'll be going around Europe. We'll be talking to Chris Wellamo, be organising the big nights out. I mean, sorry, be organising the Scotland <laughs> fan bus when they've won the tournament. No, sorry, he'll be talking to us about Scotland. Uh, we'll be having a good uh, dose of fun as well over the course of the tournament, as well as the excellent analysis that these boys always uh, provide. Uh, we'll speak to you soon. Please rate and review the podcast. Download it uh, via your normal podcast provider and tell all your friends about the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.